So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. And uh, speak a little bit to that is uh, trying to sell to the government of Canada. We realized that they don't have language that specifies where one piece garment is concerned. So that's like an all weather hazard suit, a nuclear safety suit, coveralls, extreme weather suits, search and rescue suits, all of those one piece garments. They've never once included language that says the female body proportion has to be considered as well as men. In fact, they do state that they have to have the double front zipper so that it can accommodate male toileting, but they make no... Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Jody Hutner. Jody, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Nice to be speaking with you today. So tell us about Helgaware. Okay, so... I started Helgaware back in 2014, working as a mechanical engineer on a site for an environmental engineering construction firm. I won't go into huge detail, but basically I struggled every day with my PPE, which is my personal protective equipment. So everything from hard hat to coveralls to visi vest, which is your high visibility vest, to your steel toe boots, all of it is designed and made for the average male body, which is kind of kind of tough when you're trying to supervise a team of tradesmen for one. And every time you have to take a quick bathroom break, it ends up taking you about an hour because in bear country, cougar country, you have to get someone to stop with a vehicle, come pick you up, take you to the washroom, wait for you, bring you back. Whereas my male counterparts could literally just pee behind a bush. And that's so, so not to mention all the problems with fit and just struggling to find something that worked for me as a mechanical engineer, it really got my goat that coveralls are literally plumbed to help men take a quick pee, for example, yet us women have to take off half of our clothes uh, just to take a quick leak. So there's no such thing as a quick leak, right? So being the mechanical engineer slash sewer and clothing enthusiast that I am, I started Frankensteining my previous year's worth of gear and would, would make my own prototypes and test them out in the field specifically to let me go pee really quick without interrupting my whole workflow. And I ended up coming up with something that worked really, really well for me. And I got, I got a, an opportunity to leave the industry and try and bring the product to market. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Because after I got my little two cents in and plumbed it for my body, it was great. I could go pee without taking everything off. I actually met tradeswomen who do a whole slew of, of way more physically exerted activities and uh, stressful activities than I was doing. And they not only is, is going to the washroom, it's, it's difficult, but they're, they were really experiencing problems with fit. 
uh, and to degrees that I never would have thought would be so effect, uh, so hampering for their everyday work. Yeah, so HelgaWare is basically trying to accommodate the female body proportion uh, with one-piece garments, especially where with the safety industry, so industrial clothes. And now I'm babbling, Jess, back to you. <laughs> no, I love it. You know, be, being a fellow Canuck growing up in Alberta, you know, you see a lot of busy wear around. So, but I think about like, I think about women that I worked with in construction as a teenager. I think about in between college at one point, I worked at a kitty litter factory in Lethbridge, Alberta, you know, and you got, you got to wear your, all your gear there, moving all this stuff around. Very glamorous job. I think about on the oil and gas pipeline when I worked on the pipeline, you know, working with women out there. And like, let's face it, like those coveralls don't even fit the men, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Yeah, so, well, uh, it's, it's, it's totally true. You know, not just our PPE, but everything from every tool that we get our hands on in the field to every cockpit of every piece of machinery we sit in, it's actually been designed for the average, what, 220 pound Caucasian male. So now on work sites where diversity is starting to get more and more, like we're not accommodating a large percentage of the bodies that are actually out there. And you're right. Lots of guys don't fit the typical 220 pound Caucasian male body form too. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, back then, like I'm skinny now, but I was like another, I don't know, 40 pounds skinny. I was like six, three and 145 pounds. as like an 18 year old. You know what I mean? Right. So as you talked about, like things that are way too, way too wide in the shoulders or things like this, you know, like, anyways, what's fascinating to me is that nobody, nobody like that the opportunity was still there for you. Like that nobody had done this already. I mean, it's just so they're just so blatantly bad. I mean, let's call it terrible. They're, they're blatantly terrible. Right. Like the, I mean, I know you've been doing it for seven years plus probably now, but, but even that the opportunity was available for you, it's surprising to me that something that bad lasted that long. It, to be honest, it blew my mind when I was in the field and when I realized what kind of a struggle it was, and it just seems like such a no brainer to me. It's not rocket science repositioning zippers. It's not rock, rocket science using a grade that's meant for, you know, the shoulder width to height proportion of a woman or hip width to height which is totally different from that of an average man so yeah that's it's for that reason of it being something that was long overdue something that I thought it was kind of stupid that it didn't already exist that's what made me leave so if it hadn't have been if the opportunity hadn't have been there I would still be getting an engineering paycheck right now <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me too. And I think maybe, you know, this show is a lot of entrepreneurs and investors, you know, corporate innovators, maybe not as many people that have spent time with with bright yellow tape on them. Okay. But it's interesting, especially, you know, you look at how pervasive the energy industry and the mining industries are in, especially in Western Canada, right? Like, I, I, I have high school skateboard buddies and snowboard buddies who wear that stuff, you know, I don't know, 30, you know, 20, 20 plus days a month, their whole adult career. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're making, they're making a ton of money up in Fort McMurray or something like this. Right. But they are, they're wearing like very poorly designed stuff. And then I think about, you know, women I grew up with, you know, girls, I was doing competitive judo with that, like my good friend, Shannon, she's, uh, Sharon, she's a, a nurse way out in the bush, you know, getting paid big money to go out for two weeks, but she's got to wear all that junk too. And you know that somebody just like, oh, this looks about your size and handed it over, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, no, we've, we've been actually going off of the presumption that women can be or women's body proportions can be accurately represented just by scaling down the men's body proportions. Well, we all know that's not true. 
everybody knows that innately, but this is what we've been uh, treating it as. So, so yeah, it's time, it's time for a change. So, so thinking about this from an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, a you've nailed like there's not a huge question. This is a, this is a significant need, right? This is something that there's a population who can afford it, who needs it. Every, you know, potentially every workday of their life, you, you've nailed the need. But that's not enough. You got you got to get it produced. You may need startup dollars for stuff like this. You mm-hmm. you've got to get distribution. You've got to talk buyers into buying it for the women. It's probably a male buyer, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's a just just having people who want it and can afford it is not enough. Can you talk about some of the other you know just obstacles that you had to overcome to reach the level of success you've had? Oh, absolutely. So uh, probably not many people are aware of how the industry works in respect to coveralls, and especially where FR, so flame-resistant garments, are concerned. The care and maintenance of flame-resistant garments to make sure that they keep their specs and will keep withstanding you know their their the flame or whatever the whatever the risk is. They have to be handled very specifically. So companies tend to not buy these garments. They rent them from linens distributors that will essentially take care of the inventory, also do all the washing and all the maintenance so that they can say that it's been kept up to a certain standard. So the barrier there is, even if the companies, the end the end companies who are going to be renting these coveralls know that it's a, a thing that they really need to have women's coveralls, they have to still convince their distributors, the linens rental agencies, to carry product for women. And they don't want to do that. It essentially doubles the amount of SKUs they have to carry. And they have to do all the R&D to come up with something in the first place. So a challenge that I come across is I have to get buy-in from the companies that aren't actually going to be my buyers. Then, Then it's like they have to strong arm the intermediate distributors to working with a small startup really female owned so i got one point for me but it's it's difficult and then again the 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 buyers in that respect are so to be quite frank middle-aged white men who don't really believe that that the product is viable so there are a few a few barriers there first in just educating the differences in body proportion so shoulder span to height and hip to height ratio and then after the education piece comes in convincing for from an inclusion and diversity basis that this is something that we should get on the right side of history of right now because companies are are every day more and more agreeing that this is something that's got to happen so well and i think about it from a recruiting standpoint you know i've got a i've got a buddy we were at lunch and his his electrical engineering firm grew from 80 million in revenue to 160 million in revenue year before last, right? And there they've got they've got electricians making hundred thousand dollar salaries, which in you know in Utah in the US is less common than in Canada, okay, right? Like for tradespeople, right? So good good money for this, and they cannot recruit. I mean, they're even running programs in high schools. Like it is so hard for them to get to get workers. And you think about what an opportunity is for all these people in industry who who know like, hey, we've got an entire generation that was not directed towards trades. You would think that this idea of like, man, doubling my potential workforce by figuring out how to make make our company more appealing to, to trades women mm-hmm. would be a, a pretty competitive advantage if they could nail it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. And 
it's 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 a weird thing we're seeing too. So not only we have tons of initiatives here, at least in BC, to get women in high school at the high school level interested in going into trades, and then initiatives for trades training, right? But uh, as you get to about year two or three in the industry, we're seeing a drop in the numbers. So it's almost like once the women do get out into the these industries that are trying to encourage them, they for some some reason or another aren't being supported enough or to to stick with it and i personally believe that's because ever since day one on site even though they're welcomed with open arms they have to use the tools they have to wear the clothing they have to use all the machines that's been designed for not them so yeah whether or not they can find a place for themselves that that makes them actually feel like they're being included and so that they can succeed to the level they know they could succeed at without having these ridiculous barriers like their personal protective equipment that's where we need to be so we need we need to invest more into women that are already working in the trades in year two year three so yeah and you know there's a lot of like chief financial officers that are not really big on the you shoulds there. They get hired or fired based on the money. Right. But it's like, it's literally a financial advantage to make your workplace more appealing to a second half of your country. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. le- leave all the you shoulds out. And from, from just a dollars and cents standpoint of, you know, there's anyways, I think we're, I think we're, I'm seeing, I'm preaching to the choir here, but no, you are preaching to the choir. And trust me, that's that's my my daily struggle is to overcome. So something that I've, I've noticed is an inclusivity or a diversity initiative burnout. That's something, especially since COVID. So now, uh, and, and also if you take a look at the trades, since women working in trades tend to make quite a bit more than your average salary, we tend to find more single mothers. We tend to find more women that are able to bear the full financial burden of a household. But now with COVID, they're concerned with childcare. And also COVID has made hours that are already not really desirable. Trades hours, they start very, very, very early. Uh, but now their shifts have to be split into like three shifts. So now we've got a night shift added on top of that and even more complexities into trying to find daycare, suitable daycare. So we're seeing other hurdles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I had never gotten up at 5 a.m. consistently in my life until the summer after grade 12. And it's like, no, we have to be on site out in the sticks by seven, which means, and we had wow. hour plus drive and you don't know I mean like, yeah, what if you got to get your kids to school? What, you know what I mean? Like, right? A lot of a lot of concerns there. Well, let's talk some more about the business side. So when you think about some of the wins that you have had, what do you think? So what do you think some of the big wins have been? Recently, I'd say a winning CEO Venture 2020 was a huge win. So if you're not familiar with CEO, they're a community that has really reinvented the way that small businesses are funded, especially while well, women-owned small businesses. And just becoming their venture, one of five Canadian ventures, it gave me access to just thousands of women, very like-minded. So all working on the SDGs, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, minus 5.5, by the way, ensuring full and equal participation of women in the workforce. (laughs) So just by connecting with these powerful women that are all trying to come together to fund women and initiatives that are working to make the world a better place. 
They've given me training opportunities in the past year, opportunities to connect with possible follow-on funding, a huge no interest loan, which just came at the nick of time for COVID since we unfortunately lost our local manufacturer early COVID days because costs of everything just skyrocketed. So I, yeah, I'd say that was the, the most, the most growth the company has seen has been in the past year, which speaks volumes considering there has been a pandemic, but I attribute it fully and wholly to the power of, of the, the CEO community. Well, congratulations on all the awards you've won, Inc. 100 female founders, these other ones. You know, it's interesting that principle of of finding some like-minded people, you know, entrepreneurship can, especially being a CEO can be such a lonely sport, you know, and let's face it, it's a high contact sport. You know, it's not for sissies, right? (laughs) And, and I think about like, who hasn't felt alone, right? I, we built this podcast and now we're, we're ramping it up to be a YouTube show and stuff. And like, I live in the sticks in Park City, Utah, which is great for the snowboarding, but Newslash is not like the heart of the entertainment world, right? And it makes me think like, what am I doing to, to associate with more podcasters and learn best practices or more entertainment folks? And last week I was looking at some of the top YouTube conferences in the world where these, you know, these guys who are making hundred million dollars a year off YouTube, they cut, they'll come speak, you know, and you can hear directly from them instead of just watching them on YouTube. Right. And, and it does make me think like, you know, when I get overwhelmed, when I get anxious about like this new sport, like, Nobody cares that you've done tens of millions of dollars of investment deals when you're trying to now do an entertainment project, right? And, and you know, have I, have I intentionally gone out and looked for those groups that could probably accelerate my rate? And I don't think that I have, and I think I probably need to, you know? Oh, yeah, no, it's really important to do. I agree. It's so weird how everything is kind of shifted to virtual now and we're not even questioning it. I'm actually going on a trade mission to Taiwan that's all virtual now, which is incredible. So uh, although I lament the fact if it were in person, I would actually get to go to Taiwan. (laughs) (laughs) That would be cool. Yeah, but you know, you can you can take more, you know, it takes you less time now to do these big travel or these big events. And of course it's easier on the expenses. So yeah. probably the likelihood of 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 things kind of or communities kind of expanding in this real global way now, thanks to the pandemic, is going to be more and more of a reality. Yeah. So so who are your biggest customers? Who 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 have you had success with? Well, since we're West Coast here, it's uh, our first hugest group has been women in shipyards. So that consists of uh, lots of welders, electricians, laborers, and then uh, also my sisters in local environmental consulting firms. So you've got then engineers, they're junior engineers, biologists, field geologists. And are these women buying their own or they have to get their boss to get it from the linen place to get it from you? Depends from company to company. Some are direct, some it's the end users. So it's the customer themselves that buy through the online retail store and others it's through these massive distributors. So let's talk about, you know, the principles from your success that apply to anyone. So let's start with direct. You know, when you think about how to get the word out to those women, what's been effective for you? I'd say connecting with trades associations. So I guess any associations that you can find on Facebook, LinkedIn is huge for the the working professionals. So the engineers, the women in active STEM fields, that's science, technology, engineering, math fields, uh, they tend to congregate on LinkedIn. 
So like, it's all virtual now. It's all finding where your yeah. customers are. Yeah. So we're going to be actually doing a whole series on more LinkedIn stuff this year. I've got a guy who he's, he's placed more LinkedIn ads for companies than anybody else on earth. He's the only, like, he's the number one LinkedIn, like LinkedIn approved non-LinkedIn person for ads. Okay. AJ Wilcox, we had him on before. We're going to do a whole series this year. And there's so many people that recognize like, Hey, Facebook ads can be expensive. Google pay-per-click ads can be expensive, but you know, something like LinkedIn, you can still get organic reach. You don't have to spend an arm and leg if you've, if you got more time than money or something like this. Right. So we're trying to focus on what they call thought leadership. So <laughs> for us, it's a lot, of, there's a lot of advocacy behind what we're doing. And uh, speak a little bit to that is to, uh, trying to sell to the government of Canada. We realized that they don't have language that specifies where one piece garment is concerned. So that's like an all weather hazard suit, a nuclear safety suit, coveralls, extreme weather suits, search and rescue suits, all of those one piece garments. They've never once included language that says the female body proportion has to be considered as well as men. In fact, they do state that they have to have the double front zipper so that it can accommodate male toileting, but they make no, no language whatsoever to try and accommodate the female in any way. So we have an advocacy component right now that's just really reaching out and raising awareness that this has got to change. And if the government of Canada doesn't step up, then industries are going to be less likely to step Step up too. So, you know, that's interesting. I think so often as entrepreneurs, that's not our first thought. Hey, can we get government rules changed? Right. <laughs> but, but it can be huge. My buddy, Johnny Foran on the island, Comox Valley out in Vancouver, Island, right? he's, mm -hmm. he, he built and sold a underwater survey company. He's got these submarines and he's going and surveying the ocean floor underneath fish, cool. fish farms and stuff. Right. And, you know, did, did very, very well. Okay. But that that is a government mandated thing of like, hey, you guys can make money from fish. You just you just can't destroy the most beautiful part of Canada while you do it, you know. And it's funny. I guess it could feel so daunting to people. Yet, yet you know there are success stories like our charity, Child Rescue. Right. Mm -hmm. We started we started working out here on some of the laws the the laws for child pornography versus actually renting a child you actually got 10 years in prison for the child pornography and one year if you'd rented the kid i mean just what? yeah absurd right which i know can be disturbing i catch people off guard sometimes okay but but we had our high school kids get involved got on the news we had these like prevention campaigns at high schools for high school kids by high school kids. They got to work with the attorney general's office. They got to work with people who write laws and our high school kids got to help write the new laws that changed how, how you protect kids in the state. And I don't know, I never thought that was possible, right? Like a different one of our consultants is the guy who helped make it so that everywhere, at least in the US, you know, people in a wheelchair can actually get into a building, the American Disabilities Act, right? I mean, that had literally billions of dollars of implications for the real estate industry for an entire country of 330 million people. And it's like, I guess hearing those success stories makes me go like, oh yeah, it can be done, you know? And yet how many times as entrepreneurs do we, it doesn't feel like the short way. It doesn't feel like the easy way. So we don't take on stuff like that. Uh, yeah, no, I hear you. I, I feel like a bit of a dog with a bone with this though, because it's, I've even found studies from the U.S. dating back to the 70s that the hypo hypothesis of a study done on, on four U.S. military bases was that the female body proportion can be adequately represented by scaling down the male body dimension. 
female body dimension, not proportion. And that th through that study, it was concluded that it is not possible where, where you have single body dimensions. So the length from your elbow to your wrist, yes, it can be. But as soon as you start combining body dimensions or body proportions, you can't accurately represent one from looking at the other. So we've known this since the seventies, but we haven't done anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you think about this, so, so that's one of your, that's one of your ways. What's, what's another thing that's worked well for sales? Oh, early days, got, I got the awesome experience of going on CBC. So it's like Canada's huge, you know, Canadian broadcast network for their program, The Stats of Life. Have you, if you've heard, it's all about Canadian statistics. And okay. we, yeah, my, me and my husband, it was amazing. We beat out like 800 other families, Canadian families, because they wanted to do an episode that touched on being an entrepreneur. And that's something that touched on the gig economy. And at the time I was working the gig economy like mad to keep a roof over the head, going from engineering salary to no salary, while I kept this struggling, ba bouncing baby business, just barely toddling on its own feet. And so one of the gigs I did was a casting call for the Stats of Life Canadian statistics show. So they ended up paying us to come here and film our life for a week, the week before we got married. <laughs> it was a very busy time, but that just threw us in the limelight for yeah. some of the biggest customers that we needed to, to catch what we were doing. And, and, and so that was, it was fabulous. So that's worked really, really well, getting some kind of national limelight. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think this is another one that earlier in my career, I, I don't know why I didn't think about it so much, but you think about what the absurd leverage you can get from the media. I mean, A, you're winning your awards at major magazines like Inc. Magazine, right? But um, getting on national television, right? Things like this, like you think about the number of minutes that you were on national television, what that would have cost if you had to pay for that in advertising on the CBC. That's a lot of money, Do you oh, know yeah. what I mean? right? And yet I think for those of you know, like if you weren't the kid who was in the high school play, if you weren't like... If you don't think about yourself as a media person, I think about myself as an entrepreneur or in your case, an engineer or something like this, right? Mm -hmm. I th could think about myself as a finance guy. It's not, I don't know, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't jump off the page at a lot of folks. Like, especially, I think a lot of us see like, oh, it'd be great to get a write-up in the magazine or get a write-up in the newspaper or something. But we don't think about it as like some sort of sustained thing or something that's actually long enough for people to make an emotional connection. And yet mm -hmm. humans buy from humans. You know, and I don't know, look at like, you know, po polarizing Canadian, Kevin O'Leary. Okay. <laughs> he, he talks about that, why he wiggled his way on a shark tank, why he, you know, was on a, what's that Canadian business channel that Bloomberg bought? Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. I haven't had a TV in decades, to be honest. Okay. Um, me either. I'm an internet ah, guy, but yeah, but he was on that before he was on shark tank. <laughs> And like the, like he has talked about the extra millions that he thinks he's made of deals that would not have come to him had he not leveraged the media. Sounds okay. like it sounds like it was an advantage for you too. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And was it just people cold, you know, they saw you and reached out. Is that what happened? Yeah. One, one person in particular is a senior supply chain manager for C-SPAN, which is Vancouver shipyards, Victoria shipyards, they're a massive shipping company. And uh, she had recently been a, par a part of the founding group of the Women of C-SPAN group. So like, 
They had had meetings where they were talking about the state of their PPE and how are they going to get some proper fitting PPE. Their distributor didn't offer any, said that there was none available. They just didn't exist in the market. So when she caught what I was doing, even though I didn't have a product that could suit her women, she just asked me to come down and talk to them. Just tell them, show what I did, talk, hear what their problems are. And it went from there. So I was able to make them something and even recruit them in on the field testing and get their opinion. And I still rely on them for valuable feedback to this day. So, so yeah, that's how that, that's how that happened. (laughs) Well, as you, as you kind of pioneer a new section of your industry, what's another one of your, what's another one of your sales principles you live by, you know, entrepreneurship dies. If you can't, if you can't get somebody to buy your stuff. That's true. That's true. Oh, very good question. Let me think about that. Well, I, I've been told my greatest selling feature is the story. The fact that it, it came out of a real need experienced by myself, blood, sweat and tears brought to reality. And I think, I don't, I don't know if this is a good feature because this isn't exactly one you can pass on, but I feel like the iron ring, which is the symbol in Canada of at least gone through engineering school has given me a standpoint from which I can talk to people and they'll listen to me, even though I'm only talking to them about very basic math, body proportion. I feel like uh, that's one of my greatest assets in a, in a sales meeting. So, you know what though, it's such a great point of like having a good idea is not enough. Getting people to want to hear it from us is half the battle. Right. And so showing up with some level of credibility like that, I mean, Two things that makes me think about, we had a, one of my friends and clients on the show last year, Stacy Havener, she's out in Rhode Island and she's raised like $8 billion for mutual funds. That's led to another like 30 billion getting raised for these guys, right? And she, two things that made me think of her when you're talking is one, when she shows up, she's got, she's got a tracker. Like she paid the dues. She's got a track record. She can perform and she doesn't need your business, right? And, but the other thing is her emphasis on what she calls the backstory is exactly what you just said. She's, she gets all these finance guys, they quit Goldman Sachs or City and they want to start their own fund. And they're like, they want to talk about what they do, right? And she like grills them and like forces them to figure out how they're going to present the like, why aren't you still at Goldman Sachs? Like, why are you doing this, right? And she says the backstory is the number one seller and that none of these Excel spreadsheet, my, my finance brethren, none of them want to do it. But when she can get them to slow down and tell the backstory, that that is the, that's the like part that grabs emotion and that all the numbers and all the stuff, yeah, you have to check those boxes and those have to be good, but those aren't enough that it's the backstory that, that gets them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can see like, you know, I know it's like to tramp around in the woods in Canada, Right. If you're showing up and you're going like, let me tell you about tromping around the woods in Canada. And let's face it, a lot of people you're selling to probably don't have engineering degrees, right? So you're you're structurally showing up with some credibility, right? It's as you're saying that I was thinking about like my real estate investment fund. Like I went and hired my buddy who over the last 17 years has bought like $2 billion worth of multifamily and hotels and crap like this, right? Used to be at a big $7 billion REIT and he, he's going to run it for us, but I'm still the chairman. Like everybody's got to trust his investment decisions. But the whole reason this exists is because I called my partner slash business mentor of the last nine years, 19 years. I said, John, I'm doing entrepreneurship wrong. Cause we both had like our big ups and downs in entrepreneurship, but he owned a whole bunch of commercial real estate in Rocky mountain house the whole time. So we always had a soft landing. Right. And I'm like, I'm doing this wrong because 
I make a ton, you know, I made a ton, had the roller coaster down, made a ton, had the roller coaster down, right? But I didn't have the soft landings you did, John. We've got to go buy millions of dollars of commercial real estate so I can try some crazy Elon Musk, Richard Branson stuff. And if our rockets crash, at least I also own a bunch of boring, reliable commercial real estate, right? And I don't know. I think that there's like, there's so many reasons to think like, oh, why does anybody care what I have got to say? Like, why does my story matter? Like, I'm not, like I hired somebody way more impressive than me to, to pick our real estate and run it, right? So like, really does my story matter? And yet I think we're gonna try and sell to entrepreneurs who all want to like quit stressing their spouse out and have some boring, reliable income elsewhere. So they're probably gonna identify more with that than my, hyper-responsible chief investment officer who's actually doing the work. Anyways, and any any coaching for me there? That sounds like you have some coaching for me. <laughs> well, I can see... I can see why the story works, you know, when you, it's almost like you get to be your own mascot, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And the stories I've collected over the past seven years of other women at just the incredible lengths they've had to go to just to keep competitive and to succeed. It's enough to blow your mind, especially Canada. We, we range, we've got some crazy environments that we work in, in, in trades jobs from like what minus 40 minus 50 weather, where if you're running behind a shed to take a quick leak as a woman, you better not touch any of your precious skin to the, to the metal siding of the shed. Cause it'll stick and it'll stay there. So that's, that is, that is from an actual story. So, oh, so the, sad. oh yeah. The, the battle stories I, I have, it's just like, you can't, not feel passionate from the bottom of your being as, especially when I really did think we were a lot farther along when I was in university so far as equity and women's rights I thought we were way further along and then uh, the reality in the field is that no there are still some really ridiculous barriers that women face every day and I'm going to do my best to fight the ones that I can yeah I remember being a, I remember being in kindergarten up, uh, we lived in Grimshaw outside of Peace River, you know, and like those guys, they don't turn the semi trucks off all winter, you know, and like, it, it's crazy. I remember being a, you know, kid and we moved to Edmonton for elementary school and we got school canceled for a week because it was negative 50. And they thought all us little second graders, you know, grade two kids were going to get frostbite walking two blocks of school, which I thought was great. But it, they are some pretty harsh environments. Well, listen, when you think about inspiration for other entrepreneurs listening, you know, any background, any industry, what's what's something that you would what's something you would say to encourage others or, or a principle that's done well for you? Yeah. OK, my, my biggest piece of advice would be. It, as long as you're passionate about what you're doing, this piece isn't going to be hard, but you're, you're going to come up against so many no's and like soul crushing no's, but you have to be able, your passion and your authentic need to do that widget or business or service or whatever it's got to be has to be so strong that no matter what no you get, you will always kindly thank whoever it is and immediately already be planning how you can make it a yes. So, and that's like, that's to this day, it's a constant, it's a constant struggle. It's, it, it'd be easy to get disheartened. And I, I know at times even I've gotten disheartened, but you have to, you have to keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I'm trying to learn this YouTube game. I thought, you know, YouTube was for like teenagers and YouTubers, you know, not for serious business people. Right. But I've been more inspired lately by people that I look up to that have figured that game out. And, uh, a lot of people will probably know Casey Neistat, that vlogger guy from New York that sold his channel to CNN for like 20 million bucks, right? 
And he, he made this interesting comment. He said, you can have anything you want, but you can't want anything you want. And what he meant is, if you want it bad enough, you can stick it out and you can take all the lumps and you can, you know, one of two things happen. You'll either succeed or die. You know what I mean? Like, right. Mm-hmm. But um, just saying you want something, it probably isn't enough. Like if you don't really want it in your bones, you know, you probably won't be able to fake it for the money long enough. <laughs> it's funny. I'm like, I've classic like entrepreneur ADD, shiny penny syndrome, right? So we've got too many businesses going at the same time. And like, we're, we're in the middle of closing down one of our business lines right now. And it was that thing of like, it's made okay money for a handful of years, but I really like intellectually, I liked the idea of owning that company too, but I just don't care bad enough. And, and we're, it was like 10 days ago, my partners and I decided we're getting out. And it's for that reason of like, the bumps are too hard and I don't care bad enough. So there's no way we're going to hit our goals there if if it's that annoying and the prize isn't that big. And that's why I stick, you know, stick into my babies, my like get everybody to quit speculating and instead start investing like Warren Buffett, you know, <laughs> doing this media stuff, trying to get people to hear inspiration stories, people like you who pioneer entire new parts of industries. So ah. <laughs> and well, I just want to get women peeing in my pants, man. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> well, listen, besides going to helgaware.com, is there, should people connect with you on LinkedIn or what's, what, what's the best place? Yeah, actually we're all across social media at Helgaware Inc. So at Helgaware Inc. If they want to connect with me, I'm Jody Hutner on LinkedIn. And that's, that's that. I'd love to talk with anyone who's interested and passionate about what I'm doing as I am. <laughs> Great. Thanks for making time to come on the show. Heck yeah. Thank you, Jess. Bye everyone.